the foundation of my of my faith was God was that giant in the sky with a hammer just waiting for you to mess up because he's going to hammer you know he's going to get you um, my stepdad severe alcoholic he used to uh, beat you know my mom my older sisters continuously my entire life burned down but this small little ember of truth just like never went out thank you for listening to the collective church podcast Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday over the next year, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. Thank you all so much for joining us for another episode of the Your Story Matters podcast. Um, we're so excited that you're a part of this journey with us. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, make sure to jump back. Uh, today we have one that I'm really excited about. Um, because there are two people that I know parts of their stories and a lot of their story hits a lot of people that are in our church and um, have really been like going through the faith experience. And uh, so I'm joined by Jim and Andrea Artman, and we're really excited for them to share their story uh, separately and then together and and really um, learn more about what their life has been like uh, through the experience in the church and out of the church and, and what role faith has played in that. And so let's jump right in. Go ahead, Andrea, and introduce yourself. Sure. I'm Andrea Artman. I uh, grew up in Carleton, Michigan, which I always say has more cows than people. Um, it's a very little town um, in the southeast region of Michigan. So you're from the Midwest. I am. Jim, what about you? Yeah, I'm also from the Midwest. I am, what are we, we're about 20 miles apart growing up. I was from a, a bigger city, Toledo, Ohio. Born and raised there till I was around 17, and then I started just hopping okay. everywhere. So. Yep. So two Midwesterners, um, but Andrea, let's start with what was childhood like? What What was your family like uh, as you grew up in Michigan? Yeah, so I was actually born in uh, Washington State. Um, I, we moved to Michigan when I was two. My dad was in the Navy, so he built a house. Him and my mother built a house right next to my grandma. Um, so I spent my entire childhood uh, living on my grandmother's wow. land. Uh, my uncle lived next door with her as well, and he had three kids. So it was me, my sister, and the, his three kids just, you know, tearing up the lawn. Wow, <laughs> tearing awesome. up the lawn. Um, and so, you know, typical country living, right? We we're very close. We had a huge family. My mom has eight brothers and sisters. Wow. All of them were adopted. So my mother adopted, or my grandma adopted nine kids. And so we were really close to that side of the family. And so my father's side, we weren't as close to, but it was a smaller family. And But everybody lived in town. And so family all the time. I grew up in a Catholic church, the same church my mother went to school in and my parents got married in. My grandma went to that church. I spent all 18 years um, going to St. Patrick's Church um, in Carleton. 
did all the Catholic things. We did, uh, you know, First Communion and catechism. And, you know, every once in a while, we'd have to go in this little room during communion and, you know, pretend like we were not in communion or something. It was kind of weird. (laughs) Um, And then in eighth grade, did our uh, confirmation. Church was always a part of my life. There wasn't much uh, outside of Sunday. Um, There was praying and we had the church like festival. (laughs) Do you feel like, so growing up in the Catholic church, most people are like, I went for a little bit and then stepped out. Right. But this is a major part of your childhood. What was faith like during that? Because a lot of times with the Catholic Church, it's like, yeah, we did all the things, but there tends to be a disconnect. Did you feel that disconnect? Did you feel like your family lived out their faith, you know, outside of the Sunday morning stuff? Because and and growing up in the Midwest, small town, full of family, that's a lot of culture. But how did that play out with with your faith? Yeah, it was a little of both, I think. So I wouldn't say. You know, it's not like we were in Bible study or whatever during the week. But praying and talking about Jesus was a thing. We prayed over meals. You know, it was always like, oh, I'm like, mom was always praying about something and somebody and doing her laps praying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it was, it was a focus, but it wasn't necessarily Jesus-centered, yeah. sure. right? In the way that, you know, we talk about having the relationship with Jesus. Like we had a Bible that sat there that I don't think has ever been open. Um, I knew where it was, (laughs) but um, it wasn't something that was part, that part wasn't part of our life. Um, My parents actually taught our children the, you know, the prayer that we always pray over dinner and we only do it at grandma and grandpa's house and they still will just say it. So it's one of those good things about Christianity, I think, that it's just very repetitive. And so you do like start to take in those types of things. Um, I always had a weird, I guess it's not weird, but like a reverence around communion like I would pretend to do communion with like cucumbers and like (laughs) so so I always felt more connected I think than some people uh that I know that are that are Catholic yeah yeah and it's always tough when you grow up in the church because at some point um there's kind of this like collision of I believe in God or we go to church or I follow these things and also I am trying to figure out life like, and I'm making decisions and it gets messy. Right. And that, and that's really what it is. And you kind of really got to figure out then, okay, like, am I leaning in? Am I leaning out? And when it's a cultural part of your life, there's also this family pressure that comes with it. Um, so what was it like becoming a teenager in the Midwest Catholic church family all there? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think it was difficult because I've always been kind of an do my own thing kind of person. So even in school, like I didn't have a click, right? So I was always part of everybody's little group and I never really found a place that I fit into anywhere, right? So in third grade, there was like an I Hate Andrea club and I had to like, you know, how do you deal with that as a child, right? And so I was always surface level, no matter what. Like nobody, I think nobody still today (laughs) knows who I am completely. And I don't even know who I am completely sometimes because of that, right? So um, I knew a lot of people. I was friends with a lot of people, but there was not a group that I really hung out with. And so I had close friends, you know, sleepovers were always the same people, but it was like, I'm not gonna get into my life, you know, with you. 
And I think as a teenager, you know, you're starting to think about relationships and, um, you know, that's where I kind of started peeling away, I guess, from my family just because I had access to, you know, having fun with with people. And um, my sister was a little older, so I knew some older folks as well. Um, And so I started to just explore more of my of who I was and um uh you always heard of course as a child like don't have premarital sex and don't do this and don't do that and relationships are bad and are not bad but like men and sex are bad and don't do it and never really why or like you know this is how it will impact your life in 30 years from now or 20 years from now five years from now right and so um it was always those girls are bad those girls are whatever. Um, you don't want to get pregnant because if you get pregnant, your life is ruined and just a lot of negativity around it. But obviously as teenagers do, they're still interested in it and explore it. And when you are talking so bad about it, it's like, why is it so bad? Right. (laughs) And so I had friends that were sexually active and, um, you know, you hear from both sides and it was at that point that I lost my virginity at a pretty young age, which impacted me. But honestly, at that point, I still was like, I went to church the same day I lost my virginity. (laughs) Um, And not because I needed to pray about it to, to, you know, say, say what my sins were, but because I, that's just where I felt comfortable. Yeah. My family did not know about that for a long time. When they did find out, Unfortunately, I thought I was pregnant. Thankfully, uh, I wasn't. But it kind of put a hole through uh, my relationship with my father. Um, He wouldn't look at me for a while or talk to me, which I was very close with my dad. I was the boy he never had, right? So I played sports and softball, and um, we would practice all day long. And so it was kind of like that just kind of went away. And I know it was disappointment more than anything else but it was really hard to continue to just live right as as a surface level person when when you don't have anywhere to go or anyone to talk to so that was when I started quitting a lot of things that I wasn't good at and I think it was because I didn't want to disappoint um my family when I did fail and that's when I became like <laughs> kind of an, a like very focused person on grades, um, being extremely smart and the best at everything, <laughs> especially as it related to, to grades. So I was like, if I have this one thing that, you know, is, is my bad sin or whatever, my bad part of my life, this thing that I like doing that's not really in line with who I quote unquote should be, then I'm going to be fabulous at everything else. And so I, I did, I dove in into, you know, grade, I mean, I was always smart, but, you know, I wanted to be the top of the class and I wanted to be the best, you know, softball player I could be. And I wanted to be the best, whatever. And so it just turned into more anxiety and just like pressure on myself to constantly be the best at everything. Yeah. How old were you? Middle school, high school season? Was it? It was high school. Yeah. yeah. Late high school. What was your faith like during that season? Because, you know, there is something really good. And I don't want people listening to the podcast to think that 
uh, everybody who grows up Catholic ends up at Collective going, I grew up Catholic, and here's all the bad things. Like, there is some good is with, some great, with yeah. tradition, and there is some good with consistency, and there is some good with reverence. Like, there's there's some really good things that when you are a part of something that is, you know, as cultural as Catholicism is in a family, that those kind of stay with you. Like, it's, it's easy to walk away from the, I'm not going to do church, or you know, hey, I'm, I'm, this isn't the part of Jesus that I need. Like, I need the grace side, and all I'm getting are, is truth, and even the truth side is, like, really mean. Um, <laughs> but there is there is something good. There's, like, good culture that is built in us to say, hey, I know this place exists. And so as you were kind of going through this in high school, what was your faith like? What was your relationship with God like? You know, I still had to go, obviously. I had to go to church, sure. and I liked going to church even um, when I was going through the hard stuff and still am, you know, it's, that's where I go. There were times that while I was doing the things that I shouldn't be doing, I was praying to God, right? So it's like in the moment, I'm still praying. Like there were times where I it was like, get me, just get me out of here. God, just get me out of here. And it's like, in the moment, I could I could have got up, I could have left, right? But it's just, you know, I just held on to to my faith, um, and it's always been a part of me. I never walked away from the church. I was actually just talking to my mom a couple weeks ago, and she was like, "I was on her because they haven't been going to church." I was like, "You need to go back to church," and she was like, "You can't tell me there was never a time where you didn't, you know, walk away." And I was like, "Actually, like, I can. Sure. Like, there were, you know." weeks or months or whatever but like not consistently I would find the church and just do it even after you know throughout college and everything I mean the relationships healed my senior year uh, my dad was he worked what's called an outage where he was gone like all day every day nonstop, right and so as a senior you're like oh it's you know my last game or it's my last whatever and um, I remember I was playing right field and he wasn't at the game because he had work, and I saw him walk in, and I just start crying, like, in right field, like, I'm like, okay, you gotta pay attention, because if the ball comes to you, you're gonna get smacked in the face, you know, but we still had that bond, and I, you know, over time, obviously, the disappointment reduces, um, but you just keep, okay, I don't want to do that again, I don't want to have that experience again, and if I'm gonna try to keep the things that I know will disappoint him, or my mother, or anybody else, right, you know, like, to myself and so it just kept building up these these walls of uh, not letting anybody in or just keeping that to myself and then sharing only the parts of me that I thought were okay to share but that's how I got through most of my life you know and so it was always that like well what would my parents say like you said or what would whatever and it saved me a few times too you know like I'm not feeling great I'm going to run into this wall with my car. Like, my mother would be so disappointed. That's the thing that just kept going through my head is what would my mother say and what would she do, you know? And I'm here today. So, um, you know, sometimes that guilt works to my benefit. Sure, sure. (laughs) That Catholic guilt just gets you through it. Really what you're talking about is, like, the balance between faith and life and family and just how tricky it can be. And not everybody stays connected all three oftentimes there's a disconnect you kind of just decided to stay in like this weird messy middle and feel all the things that came with it um which is different 
you know, not a lot of people would say, Hey, I'm going to keep my faith and my family and the life that I'm living. It's like, I'm going to keep this life and like everything else is going to go. And so you you decided I'm not quit my family. I'm keep going to church. I'm going to keep doing the things I'm doing. Um, So it makes sense that in order to stay in that place, you had to build walls the impact, you know, you don't just move out of state and everything goes away, right? <laughs> yes, um, yeah. Yeah, so I go to college, um, University of Toledo, Rockets. I joined the Catholic Student Association and actually go to a Catholic church there that is very unlike any other Catholic church I've ever been to, probably because it's tons of college kids, yeah. but there's like a real band that wow. plays and like the uh, priest, <laughs> he reminds me uh, he, he was a much older man um, and was very like he like that turtle voice you know and like some of the like cartoons oh, sure. you know and so it was like a circular church and it, it was just very interesting wow. and much more like Jesus focused yeah. from you know Catholic perspective and um, so I met a lot of people there and we started um, we would do like dinners and um, just different types of things that you know kept you connected uh to the church during the week, and um, I thought it was really great. It started to turn to where, you know, I was moving away from that when I actually ran into a friend from high school who was a really good friend of mine, um, but never really gave me the time of day from, like, a relationship perspective, which is kind of interesting, but he was one of my one of my crushes. Uh, hopefully he's not listening. And so he was, like, praying over his food, and he wasn't a person that I knew growing up as a believer. Yeah. He might have been, and I just didn't know it, but, and I was like, hey, you know, how are you? Like, long time no see. And he told me about this church in Toledo, and um, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, and it was interesting. Yeah. Um, it was one of those, you know, had like 10 people in it, uh, flags waving, people running like in circles in the church, like just very crazy. And whenever I tell the story, it's like, that's what I needed to kind of like kick me out of Catholic, like just to like, hey, look at this other thing. Yeah. It's super crazy. And I feel like one extreme to the other. And then I kind of found myself in the middle. <laughs> um, and so they started this um, Ambassadors of Christ group on on uh, campus. And so I was a part of that. And we would have meetings during the week. And do Bible studies and pray in circles with hands holded, your favorite. Uh, it makes you so uncomfortable. <laughs> I just don't get it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was it was really that coming to to a different side of, of my faith. And um, from there I went to another church where I was literally spending, like, New Year's Eve during the ball drop yeah. at church praying. Um, and at that time my prayer was, you know, created me a, a new heart because I just felt so broken and empty and alone all the time. I guess the, the question I would love for people to know is, okay, if you still felt that way, why are you still going to church, right? Because it had been really easy for you growing up in the church, experiencing what you experienced, like dealing with the, the guilt and a lot of the shame of sin, right, which we all feel and we all have to wrestle with in different ways. We all have to eventually get let go of that shame so that we can actually be feel forgiven and feel grace and all that but okay here I am in a third opportunity oh no I still feel this way why as a 22 year old aren't you walking away I think it was the only place I felt peace it didn't matter what type of church I was in or what was happening in the church I found out later the church that I was attending during New Year's Eve was the pastor was 
not great uh, from what I understand, but it didn't matter. Like it didn't, the, it's not the people in the church. And so most of the time, if there was music, I was happy, yeah. you know, and so it was and still is my my peaceful place. Yeah. Like when I was struggling a few years ago, I went to the Hermitage down in D.C. Wow. and stayed there for what, four days um, because that's the place I can go to feel rest. That's the place I go to feel whole. And all the brokenness doesn't really matter uh, when you're there. It's pretty wonderful that even in those places you find yourself where you're like, man, I'm not doing what's right or I'm screwing these things up and these people have opinions about me. You walk into church and you're like, I feel peace. And that's because that is who God is to us. Like God is that peace in the middle of our garbage, in the middle of our mistakes, in the middle of our storms. And a lot of the unrest we feel, while God is going to stir in us to live differently, but that shame that we feel is not from him. And uh, my hope is that people listening to this podcast who are kind of in those places where like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life and I'm screwing these things up or people are telling me I'm screwing these things up and they carry that weight. My hope is that they show up to churches like Collective and feel peace and really wonder, why do I feel differently? And it's because that is who God is, right? He never wants us to feel like we're terrible people. For sure, yeah. I mean, I know when I'm sitting at home and the anxiousness comes up, it's me thinking about something that I shouldn't, be blaming myself for or, or whatever right and so generally when that happens I just start saying Jesus is my Lord and Savior Jesus is my Lord and Savior over and over until I either fall asleep yeah. or it just dissipates yeah. because I know that that anxiousness is coming from something else and anything I can do to switch my mind over is just gonna make that day a lot better yeah that's really good all right let's jump back in time another Midwest yeah uh, born and raised um, what was your childhood like? And um, talk to us a little bit yeah. about, like, hey, what what role did faith play, if any at all? Sure. Yeah, Toledo is is very much like Baltimore. Yeah. There's a there's a real strong parallel between the two. Childhood was good up until about second grade. I, I'm one of six kids. There's three boys, three girls. That's too many kids. <laughs> Tell me about it. You know, mom and dad were together. Dad had his own business. He was a, a tool and die maker. Grew up about a mile away from my paternal grandmother. Real big presence in our life. Wow. Until around between my second grade and third grade year. You know, the, the cracks. It's, it's terrible to even know that I knew this at the time, but the cracks in, in my parents' relationship started showing at that point. You know, I remember seeing them in hushed corners arguing and you know my mom yelling and you know him crying and and all of these things and uh, come to find out later he was he was having an affair on her at that point you know we were very very involved in a in a baptist church a, a fire and brimstone baptist church you know um up through that point through about third grade we would it was every sunday morning every sunday night every wednesday night um the pastor actually lived right next door to us Okay. I don't know if that's good. <laughs> it's yeah. And and we went to the to the church or to the school that was tied to the wow. church as well. So I mean almost every Sunday there was maybe thirty of us kids in the in the children's, you know, part and every single Sunday they would they would 
have a, a call to salvation and every single Sunday I would raise my hand yeah. and try to pray the prayer because I was terrified of, yeah. you know, the pastor's next door. He sees the stuff I'm pulling at home, right? And I wasn't a bad kid, but, you know, there's six of us. It turns into a jungle sometimes. It just happens. So every single week I felt this conviction that I needed to get right now because if something happens this week, then it's game over, right? As a second grader? As a second yeah, grader. Yeah, that's, oh, man. Yeah. It's a lot. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that was like the, the foundation of my, of my faith was, you know, being in that place where God was that giant in the sky with a hammer, just waiting, just waiting for you to mess up. Cause he's going to hammer, you know, he's going to get you. Yeah. So, you know, the, the family sort of took a, a bad turn about that time when my dad used to, he used to bring people into the house and into his business, like, you know, at-risk youth and at-risk, you know, middle, early 20s guys and teach them a trade and help them get off drugs mm-hmm. and, like, help them do a bunch of stuff, you know. At one point, I, I guess, you know, my, my mom decided that one of them was was worth pursuing. So she actually started in a relationship with this um, 17-year-old who was one of my dad's, you know, sort of... Um, foster children, I guess, if you will. So that obviously devolved into a a divorce really quickly. Yeah. You know, we, we sold our house. Um, we moved into another house that was on the edge of a pretty bad part of town. So our house was fine. Our, our street was fine. The, The schools, the neighborhood was not, you know, it wasn't a great place. So, and this, this guy moved in with us, Todd, you know, he was my, my stepfather for a about 20 years Holy cow. Um, you know now I'm in fourth grade I'm starting this new new life in this new school we obviously had to break up with the church because yeah. you know the pastor was right next door and that's that's not a good relationship to then bring another guy into that and my dad he rented a house two streets away from us you know with the intention to really stay in our lives for yeah. a long time uh, he just about a year after that was diagnosed with cancer you know I think he was 40 you know, brief little moments of time that we were able to do things together. But uh, he passed away when I was in fifth grade. I was 10 years old. So, and after dad died, the wheels really fell off. You know, um, my stepdad showed who he really was. Um, He was, you know, severe alcoholic, um, severe drug addict. He would take anything he can get a hold of. He used to uh, beat, you know, my mom, my older sisters continuously. For that time, really, in between probably fourth grade and seventh grade, I can't even count the amount of times we ran out of the house as kids um, to call 911 at a a neighbor's house and not knowing if she was going to be dead when we got back. I'm 10, my older brother's 14, and my two older sisters are 16 and 18, so they're at ages where they're ready to move on and move out and do other things. So they very quickly left the house because they just, you know, they basically told her we can't watch him kill you you know we just can't which left me as the as the man of the house you know at 10 years old 11 years old so what was the age difference between this guy and your oldest sibling two years wow i mean already up to that point it's been tough and obviously not something that any child should go through right a lot of people I, it's weird because I feel like I repeat myself on these podcasts, but I, I feel like it's like 52 episodes of me just saying, hey, as kids, you're not supposed to go through that. Mm-hmm. Just reminding people of 
hey, that's that's not the way you were supposed to grow up. And if you did grow up that way, like the pain you feel or the walls you put up or the decisions you've made, they kind of make sense. Yeah. Your brain's not even developed to the point where you can handle yourself and there you are trying to be responsible for something, yeah. you know, and feeling the weight of that. What's remarkable about children is they still feel the weight of it. But there you are, elementary age. At, at this point, is church a part of what you're doing? You moved away from the pastor, probably a good move. But... So it was a good move. You know, church was, it was still a part of our okay. life. My childhood growing up with churches, there was as much foundation there as there was at home. Okay. Um, it was about every six weeks we would jump to a new church. You know, and looking back, I think it was probably my mom desperately trying to find a foundational faith, but then also trying to hide the fact that she mm-hmm. is coming in black and blue every weekend, yep. you know. So we went to a lot of different places, all, you know, within that middle-of-the-road non-denominational. Sure. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't really latch on to the Baptist movement or that yep. really heavy like yep. we did growing up. That was more my dad's thing. He, okay. he, he you know, really enjoyed that. Yeah. And we didn't go into the Catholic faith at all. The first time I set foot in a Catholic church was, you know, <laughs> when I when, like, when we were together, and I was like, I am sweating from all of the standing and sitting. Yeah, and I'm two steps behind everybody. Right? I didn't know what the heck was going on. So it was a place full of people. That's about it. You yeah. know, it was a place full of people that had better lives than me. Sure. I can't think of an, the moment that like God really became real. Sure. To me. The best way I can describe it is like my entire life burned down, but this small little ember of truth just like never went out. It's good. But it didn't really do anything either. It didn't catch back on fire. It didn't really do anything, but it was there and I knew it was there. So yeah, like through, you know, through middle school, we're, we're going to churches, we're doing all these different things. Um, we're fighting and, you know, they're smacking each other on the way to church and, you know, this, that, and the other. I think I was 15 my, my stepdad got drunk. This was after my father had passed. They got a little money from, you know, the death benefits. So they bought new truck, new car, new boat. And, you know, we're right on the lake. So they're, they're yeah. just living a high life, right? So my stepdad was way too drunk and whatever else and had a couple guys with him on the boat. And he, he lost control. So he went over a dock, under a second dock, and through a third dock. And he killed two guys. And he ended up in the hospital. He was in a he was in an ICU for a couple of weeks, and he you know he went to jail for for manslaughter yeah. for, for I think it was about a year. It was peaceful mm-hmm. in some ways, but it was also more stressful. Sure. My my mom put a lot of a, a lot on me. She was she was going to nursing school at the time, so she, you know I became her study buddy because she needed somebody to talk to, and that quickly almost every night devolved into a therapy session where she would pour her heart out to me right. about all the terrible things that were going on in her life and really, you know, using me as her sounding board yeah. at, at 12 years old or 13 years old, whatever it was. So, you know, I had to figure out how to be myself plus dad plus her therapist at the same time, which was not a, yeah. you know, not, not a comfortable place to be no, as a kid, right? So we were really, really poor at the time. You know, I remember running to the bank with a bag full of nickels to put it into the bank so that we didn't lose our house because because the the mortgage was due that day and we were over we were way overdue so but it was my responsibility to get it there before five o'clock because if i didn't get it there then you know that was it so you know and then school it was a respite from the home but 
I also had to make sure my little brother and sister were yeah. there. Yeah, I had a lot of pressure on that end. So that was kind of that. And then, you know, going through middle school, middle school was different. It was a, it was a change. You know, he was back out of jail. It was a rough, rough school. I got beat up a couple times. Like all this time I'm seeing, this is what, this is who people are. This is what people really do, right? This is, people aren't really good. Not, none of them, like not at the church, not at the school, not at anywhere. I, I found a little group of, of misfits that I could connect with, you know, and it was other kids who had abusive parents and had dads in jail and, you know, all this, that, and the other. I, I couldn't bring them back to my house either, you know, because my, my stepdad was obscenely racist wow. as well. So I, I couldn't, because um, none of my friends looked like me. You sure. know, they just didn't. So I was able to find these little pockets of like peace, but they were only peace because it was like a refugee camp, right? It sure. wasn't like a, yeah, yeah. there wasn't anything happy. There wasn't anything really great about it. You know, we went through the early phases of, of high school. My mom's mom, my grandma on that side ended up stepping in and saying, listen, I want to, I want to put your kids in, in Christian school. Again, wow. We need to get, you know, we need to get something started here. So she was going to a, a church that was um, much more fundamentalist, Pentecostal, not necessarily like dancing around with flags, but you know they would they would cast out devils sure. every, every week, you know, sure. from the stage and, and this that and the other. So got into that school and really just hated it. I hated all everything about yeah. it because it was just it was foreign and it was it was a lot of people saying a lot of things that didn't feel like it it felt like more work you know like you need to now you need to you have to read you know 30 chapters sure. you have to go to these bible yeah. classes you have to pray before every class you've got to you know all these different things and it just felt like more of the same people not being good but pretending like they were yeah so through all that in high school what happens as you get toward the end of like graduation? Do you stay in the school the whole time or no. do you eventually get out? No, I went to seven different high schools. Oh my gosh. Um, well, if you, I guess I went to six high schools and I was homeschooled for a little bit. Okay. So freshman year, I was in the school in like my district, which was like, it was not a good place to, to be. And towards the end of the year, I guess I was one of those kids that they identified that like we, maybe we can find something useful for him to do in his life. So I did all these tests and like did all this stuff and... They said, oh, he he looks like he's really good at architecture um, or draft or like doing these drawings, like he's good at drawing. So we should put him in an architecture program, wow. right? So Toledo was trying. They had these like yeah. little things they were really <laughs> trying to do. So they they moved me to another school, probably 10 miles away, but uh, over an hour by bus because I had to get up at yeah. five in the morning, yeah. take this bus to the transfer station downtown, hang out with the homeless bums for a little while, get on another bus, go down to, you know. And I was there for like half a year. Just a different time. Like, can you imagine telling your kids to do that right no. now? Gosh, no, no. I can't like, even wait at the end of the driveway. Yeah, by sorry. You that's got just... so bad. Yeah, there were times where I would be standing. And well, that's the thing is they like the, the bus picked me up. This is actually a funny story. It's it's terrifying thinking about it now, but it's funny. Um, the bus would pick me up in front of the house at 530. And it would take me downtown, which is not that far, and drop me off at 10 till 6 in an alley by myself no kids nobody around yeah. me and a bunch of homeless people i think and that showed me like oh these homeless people aren't terrible people because sure. some of them the first time the first day this guy comes up to me and he goes you're not supposed to be here 
And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know that. Um, but they almost like encamped around me. And yeah. they would, like, you know, other people would walk through and I had no concept of who was okay, who wasn't, yeah. but they did. And they sort of took care of me, you know, and they're like, That's you know, crazy. they would, they would be like, you, you know, keep on walking. Just don't worry about this. We got this guy, you know, sort of shooing people out of the alley while I'm waiting for this bus. Um, so that school was fine. That was, you know, it was in another part of town that wasn't mm-hmm. good either, but it was, it was a good school. I thought I really enjoyed my time there. Um, it opened my eyes to the fact that people who don't look like me really are better people than the people that I know. Sure. Unfortunately, there was a couple drive-bys in front of the school. And so my mom freaked out and pulled me out and put me in the Christian school. So that's where I ended up in that school. Um, I was there. It was fine. It was, it was just, you know, going through the motions. I wasn't really, we had to go to church. We had to go to chapel every Wednesday. We had to, we went to the church on the weekends. Um, until, until we didn't, until we got to that point again where mom needed to jump ship and do sure. something different. So this is actually where our stories sort of converge because one of the churches that she went to was the same church I went to. Okay. Um, not at the same time. Not at different the same times. Time. It was like five years in between. Yeah, or roughly. I don't know. We never actually mapped it out, but weird. Um, and it was it was that it was a Pentecostal church. Yeah. It was like a huge, you know, in a warehouse, huge Pentecostal church where praise and worship would last for like 90 minutes. Sure. Yep. And then <laughs> yeah. somebody would get up and start speaking in tongues yeah. for like, you know, 20 minutes. Yeah. And it felt like, to me, it felt like theatrics, right? Because sure. it's distinctly, I remember almost every week, you know, one of either the pastor or somebody else would be out there and they'd start praying and then they'd start hopping and, and it, you could almost script it like, okay, this, now he's going to start spinning in circles. Now he's going to start wow. doing this. And then he's going to throw his hand this way and everybody all the way up, all these seats is going to collapse except me. Cause I didn't feel anything. Sure. So I'm doing yeah. it wrong. Right. Cause I'm, I'm like trying desperately to grab whatever this is that's yeah. knocking everybody over and never, never felt it. Yeah. You know, so a lot more of the same, you yeah. know, in, in that regard. And we went, we were there for probably nine months, 10 months. And somewhere, some, somewhere along the line, my uncle had moved to Florida, to Naples, Florida, and started a business, started making a lot of money and said, Hey, why don't you guys come down? We'll help, you know, we will, we'll help you secure a loan for a house and we'll get you out wow. of, out of Toledo. So we did, you know, we moved down to, to Florida and I was, that was my senior year of high school. You know, that was in between my junior and senior year, the, the summer. So I started a new school, which is probably the worst thing that you could do. Move yeah. Like, you know, however many, 1,700 miles away from, from my hometown. Yeah. And I was there in that school, in the house, nice brand new house, same problems as we had in, in the north until I was, till I turned 18, which was in October. You know, when I was October, my mom said, you know, I, I think you need to start paying rent. You need to start helping us out. So um, it's going to be, um, we're going to take your, the death benefits that you got from, yeah. your, from your dad, and we're going to take $500 out a month to, to pay for your rent. It's like a, that is like actual rent in Florida, though. Yeah. That's like the whole cost. Yeah, of... yeah, yeah. So I said, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Um, I'll just move back home, and I'll go live with my oldest sister who had a house, and she had an alcoholic husband, too. So it was like, it was an easy transition, because I already knew how to, yeah. how to like, even you know, the, the worst wasn't going to be much worse than what you've experienced no, before. No, because he was a drunk, but he wasn't abusive. So I then went to another school, you know, which was the school 
kind of brought me full circle to the school of the high school that I would have gone to had I stayed in my original district okay. from second grade and not been in this Christian school, yeah. you know, merry-go-round. So I had a couple friends there, a couple guys that I knew growing up, a little bit of a connection with a couple people. But they were all very hard into the partying scene, and I had no, I had no interest in that. Sure. Um, and at that point, I didn't really, that, that year, I didn't really go to church. I was 18. I could sign myself into school. I could write my own permission slips mm-hmm. when I needed a, a sick day. Um, so I just sort of did what I wanted to do, and I, didn't, I chose not to do any of that. And at that point, I, I met someone. We dated through, you know, like from Christmas through the end of the year. And at that point, I was like, I, this is not the relationship that I want it to be. I think I'm going to go back to Florida, and I'm just going to do it on my own because my younger sister and brother are there. I need to make sure they're okay and they're not living, uh, growing the way that I did, growing up the way that I did, you know. So called her on the phone and said, hey, listen, it's not you, it's me. You know, I really feel like God is calling me back to there Florida. I go. pulled all the big guns out. Yeah. And she said, I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, I guess we're not going anywhere. Come to find out she has a lot of, she had a lot of baggage, just like I did. But I knew that I was going to be there for my kid, whatever it took. Yeah. We got married. and At 18? At 18. And we moved to Florida and lived with my mom. I, so in that brief episode that I was there before I moved back to Toledo, I was working at a pet shop, and I loved it. Um, and I went back to the pet store, and I was like, hey, can I, can I get a job? So I started working there enough, you know, we got enough to, like, get our own place and started moving through the ranks there. Still at this point, I'm, I'm not, I'm about as centered in my faith as I always was, which was, I know he's up there. I've not found anybody that actually buys into what's going on. You know, like I see a lot of people going to church, but nobody that's actually like living this sure. way. You know, the, the homeless bums in the, on the street are good people. Yeah. Yeah. All of the people at this high school, those are people that are going to take care of people and are going to do the things to actually like the things that it says in the Bible to do yeah. to other people, yeah. not the people at the church. Yeah. You know, the people at the church are going to be like the pastor who got drunk and got arrested for exposing himself on the side of the road. True story. And, you know, that's those are the people that I see in church. It's yeah. not the, you yeah. know, this isn't people yeah. that are actually helping the community. Yeah, well, and like you growing up, experiencing as much as you did, like you know how real the world is Mm -hmm. right and so what you're what you're running into is hey wait a second divorce happens affairs happens abuse happens alcoholism happens like these real life things that i'm experiencing but then you go to church and it's like none of these things happen Mm -hmm. right and that's very hard for people who grow up in these like like hard lives or hard hard childhoods because they're going this is my reality why does church feel like it's not yeah you know it's kind of devoid of real life things and so it kind of makes sense that you're in this place going, wait, I'm going to church and they're not talking about any of the things that I'm struggling with, any of the things I have doubts with, any of, even like when you're like, just talk about the mistakes I've made. Like sometimes you're just desperate for somebody to, to especially for preachers or Christians, just to be real enough to say, these things happen, yeah. you know? And so it makes sense that you are where you are with faith because it's like, yeah, I believe in God, but this is not my reality. You know, it's the the made up version of life. And when you've been through some real crap and you go to churches that do that, you look around and you're like, you're all lying. Yeah. Because you know, you know what people go through. 
And you're like, there's no way you are all so good and so happy and every marriage here is so perfect and every kid is so, you know, well. Um, and it's tough. Yeah. And again, like, based on your experience, it's it would have been easier for you to be like, I'm out, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, you're still kind of, like you said, that ember is still there. Yeah. It's like, I couldn't put that out. You always hope for the, and I kept believing in God, and then everything worked out. Yeah. And you are trying to figure out the God stuff, and nothing's working out. My child was born, beautiful little newborn, perfect baby, nothing wrong. You know, delivery went smooth. Everything was beautiful. She's about a few weeks old, and I'm going back and forth to work. I'm working, you know, at this point, I was an assistant manager at the store. So I'm like, I'm moving up the chain, right? I'm, my life is getting good. Um, and she, I, I, every time I would get home, the baby would be in, in the crib crying with just bottles around her and my, my wife would be passed out on the couch or on, in the bed. I'm like, what's, what's happening here? Why is this? There's, there's something not, there's something wrong. There's something not happening here. So we, we went through this, you know, my mom was there. Um, at this point, I think my stepdad had moved out. My mom decided that she was going to be married to Jesus instead okay. of to yeah. a human because yeah. that yeah. would be better. I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm sure he's a good yeah. guy, but, yeah. you know, that just seems like a bad idea and probably bad theology in some There's, way. Yeah, we don't I know, know your, your skin's itching. That's a whole other there. podcast. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. All right, we'll get to marrying Jesus on a future one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, a, that's a, uh, a coping mechanism, right? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. My, you know, come to find out my, my wife had severe, severe depression and she was depressed before that undiagnosed, um, but severe depression. So when my daughter was about four months old, you know, my, my ex woke me up in the middle of the night and said, I I just took a whole bottle of ibuprofen and an entire vial of insulin. I think I want to die. She was diabetic. So she's like, I think I want to die. We, we ran down to the hospital. They pumped her stomach. They got her stabilized. And they put her in the in in the psych, you know, ward yeah. of the hospital, and she was there. So I've got a newborn at home. I got a full time job, and my wife is in psych. You know, my my mom was there. My my oldest sister flew back down. She was helping take care of my daughter. You know, while I was at, at work, and I would try to visit my wife every day. Um, and while I'm visiting her, she's telling me, "Hey, listen, I think I'm sort of falling in love with this guy over here. I don't want to do this anymore." So a guy in the psych ward. In the psych ward, yeah. And just to remind everybody, you're a teenager. I'm 19, 20. Yeah, just there. You know, like you just go on auto. You, you, a few podcasts we've talked about, or you've mentioned people just white knuckling through knuckle. life, and I am just yep. straight up white knuckling yep. it. Like I am just putting my head down and just going to work and getting things done yep. and coming home and doing laundry and cooking and cleaning um, and whatever I needed to do. Right? There wasn't any other option. What are you going to do? You can't stop. She got out of, they actually kicked her out because her Medicaid days ran out and said, we can't really do anything else for you. We just need to send you home. So she came home and she didn't, you know, she would spend her days in locked in the bedroom and I would run home at lunch and make sure the baby was okay, change the diaper and all that, and then go back to work and then run, run back home again afterwards. So it was like this for about two and a half years. Wow. You know, and in the meantime, in this time, I'm saying, okay, you know what, I think... Well, maybe Jesus will help her. I don't know. You know, I'm thinking sure. I'm throwing darts at a wall here, yeah. right? I got nothing. So we we started going to a church and we started going to a church that my uncle had helped. You know, he was really close with the pastor. They had helped found the, this church. 
And it was sort of in the middle of that Pentecostal and Baptist flavor, right? So I'm like, I get this. Like, I know what's coming up here. I'm sorry. That flavor is like spicy and watered down at the same time. So that's a weird flavor, man. It's a weird place. Yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those places that like, they were always talking about revival. Oh, sure. And then they were bringing in like the weird stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The strong men for Jesus would come and like rip phone books books. for Jesus. Yeah, that's a real thing. I never experienced that. There's a lot of people in our church that are going to hear this and feel joy and shame at the same time because they know what that is. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was, they were evangelists that would come in and they would do, you know, they love Jesus and also steroids and they would like rip phone books and be like, with the faith of God, we can do this. And it's like, yeah, that's a real thing. I know. I'm sorry. Which was weird and like, didn't really pump me up, but I was like, well, I mean, the kids are loving it. So yeah, cool. Yeah. At that point, you know, that church, they were like, Hey, listen, you need to serve. Like in, in order to, to really develop some faith, you know, you need to serve. Check. I got you. So I started serving. But that was a church that you had to wear suits at. And I was about 300 pounds, and it was South Florida. And I only had a borrowed woolen suit that I used at my mar- for my wedding that my best friend from childhood, his dad, gave it to me because I didn't have the money for a suit when uh-huh. I got married. So I wore this wool suit every, every week. And I did all sorts of jobs. I was like... I was at the door, you know, I was the the door opener, you know, I was the greeter in, in the main lobby. I was an usher. Um, I was part of the groundskeeping. I was kind of was the groundskeeping crew. I was the maintenance. I was like sitting up in the, in the ceiling, trying to figure out how to fix lights before YouTube. Yeah. And like yeah. I had no business doing it, but like, whatever, whatever you need, I'll do it. You know? And, and I, my wife was, serving in children's so she would be in there with the infants um, and every now and then I would help in there with them as well you know this sweaty 20 year old poor guy in Naples Florida in a really well-off area trying to serve all these people that are coming in in BMWs sure they never looked at me like I was part of anything it was just like I was the hired help that just was in the way right at one point when I was serving with the kids, they actually pulled me aside and said, I think, you, you know, the, the parents are, they're feeling uncomfortable with you in there. I think we would like to get you out of there and, and have you just, you know, just work on the maintenance crew. So I said, okay. So we're, you know, we did this, we did this church for a couple of years. Jess, my, my oldest is three. And she starts one week. She was, you know, she was just this, just this happy little kid, right? She just was fine. She was always always smiling always drawing always playing um always wanted to be with me always wanted you know we used to i used to sleep on the floor and hold her hand because she wouldn't go to bed any other way like i was her safety net and somewhere in between that that age three and four she she stopped eating and she was like i i'm just thirsty i just want milk that's all she wanted i just want milk i just want milk and it went on like this for about two weeks where she was just really lethargic she was really sleepy and she just wanted to drink milk she wouldn't eat she wouldn't do anything. So, you know, I said, I think we need to take her to the doctor. I think this is, this, again, you know, I'm not a medical professional at yeah. this point, but this feels bad. So I, I think we should take her to the doctor. So we, and so we took her to the doctor. They do, drew some blood. We went home and I'm laying in bed. It's, you know, I finally got just to sleep and I was able to be awake enough to crawl into my own bed and not just sleep on her floor all night, which was what I usually did. And it's like 1.32 o'clock in the morning and my doorbell keeps ringing incessantly. And I'm like, what is happening? You know, so I get up and I go to the door and my mom's there. And she's like, God told me I had to get here. 
I, I have, you know, we need to take Jess to the hospital now. You know, and God told her to do all sorts of things. Sure. Right? Yeah. So God yeah. told her she needed to buy this car and God told her that we should go to this restaurant. You yeah. know, it was one of those. So yeah. I'm like, fine. So we took her, we took her to the hospital. Different emergency room, thankfully, than the first place that I had taken my wife. And they kept her back there for, you know, I was back with her. They were drawing all sorts of labs. They were giving her antibiotics. They were doing all these things. And couldn't find out she was diabetic. She was type 1 diabetic, just like her mom. Okay. Um, her blood sugar was up around 1800 and her acid base balance in her blood was to the point where she should have already been dead so they drove her up to fort myers which is about a 30 40 minute drive they wanted to fly her to tampa to the children's hospital but they said there's no way she's going to survive that that helicopter flight so we have to get her somewhere now to stabilize her we we left me and me and my mom we we drove up to the hospital um my my wife chose not to come she didn't want to leave the house. She just said, she, I can't go to the hospital. I can't do it. So she didn't. And Jess was in an ICU there for about three weeks, hooked up to you know, insulin drips and then all sorts of just all sorts of stuff just to get her stabilized. I slept there overnight. I got up, went to work, got off work, went home, showered, went back to the hospital. Um, I think I got her mom to go three times in those three weeks to go there just so that I could go home and just for a couple hours, not not overnight or anything, just a couple hours, just so that I could get a little bit of rest. And she came out, you know, she got out of the hospital and she, she came home and we, we took care of her and the life went right back to normal. We'd go to church on Sundays, we'd serve on the Sundays. Carrie, my, my ex, would just hang out in the bedroom. You know, she really wasn't engaged with us. She just wanted to do her thing. Probably until about, that lasted about another six or eight months. I said, I, I can't keep doing this. This isn't a marriage. I'll take Jess. You just, you clearly don't want anything to do yeah. with this relationship. Just please leave. And she, she bolted immediately. Like she had a flight back home to Toledo within the week. She had all of her stuff packed and she was gone. I did what you do. I went to work. I would drive my daughter. I would drive Jess out to my mom's house, which was about an hour round trip to get out there and then get down to work. So I'd, you know, go pick, drop her off in the morning, pick her up at night and tried to keep going to church. You know, because I just needed to have some stability. Yeah. After a couple of weeks, you know, they were like, "Hey, where's where's your wife?" And she she left. You know, she left us. And I remember the associate pastor pulled me aside and he said, "Listen, um, God told me that you guys really need to work this out. And I think what I think your best first step is to start serving in the church." And I said, "You've got to be freaking kidding me." I served in this church for the last three years, and you never even saw that I was here. I was here every Sunday serving, so I stopped. I stopped going to church at that point. Which makes sense. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think anybody would fault you for that. God, Jesus, I know that that's real, yeah. but, like, you guys are, I'm done. I'm done with all of you. I don't want anything to do with the church. So that was that, and that was pretty much the end of church for me. Um, you know, my had my daughter with me took her to she was in kindergarten at that point you know we went to school I'd work and then come home and pick her up and after the first year of kindergarten my my ex came back with a boyfriend and we were fine like she'd she'd see her mom every now and then um maybe twice a month and didn't like it didn't want to be there but it, it was what it was and the first grade Thanksgiving I went to my mom's house because you know it's the holidays and I get there, and my ex is there with her boyfriend. She had my mom had invited them because she was part of. They were part of the family. Yeah. 
so we had a conversation on Thanksgiving. My ex was there because she wanted custody and she had already filed paperwork and they wanted child support. I want Jess and I want child support. It was like the same sentence. So I knew where the, to me, where the motivation was. And I, I fought, saw a lawyer and they said, you know, we'll take your money, but you're not going to get, you're not going to win this case. In Florida, if the mom wants custody, the mom gets custody. That's it. Game over. So off they went. So they took her and they left and then took your money. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. How old are you at this point? 23. Okay. Now your daughter's in Ohio because eventually you end up back in Ohio. Yeah. And so is that kind of what led to that change? Yeah. So I, you know, through the divorce, I quit my job because I needed to... On the times that Jess was there, I needed to have time to be able to split my time and, and really focus on her when I was at, at home. So I was a secretary on a, on a ward overnights on 12-hour shifts, right? So I'd do six in a row, and then I'd be off for eight days. Um, and I'd get to see her on those eight days, on those times where she was home. And I said, I think I, I, think I should probably do like a nursing job or something. That seems like a, a good idea. So, and I started nursing school and I was like, this is, I got to go back home. I got to be close to her. I can't, I can't spend the next three years of my life in college down here away from my, you know, then six or seven year old daughter, right? I have to be close to her. Um, so I moved back to Ohio and I, and I went to nursing school. So through all of that, eventually you two meet up. And what we're going to do right now is we're actually going to pause. And for those of you listening, um, I'm sorry for another cliffhanger. I'm not really sorry. We've got way more story ahead of us. Um, So we're going to pause here, give everyone an opportunity to take a deep breath. And then next week you can listen to part two of Jim and Andrea's story and how even though there were still more highs and lows ahead, God continued to show up in their lives and in their faith and bring them to the point where they are today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. (music) 